Christ, really grateful for the privilege that we have in Him, and really just kind of lost in worship. And uh, I would love it. I thought you were Ryan, Brad. I don't don't know where that landed, but um, I was just thinking, let's re-sing the choir piece right now, where we're just, there you are, Ryan. Would you and Brad want to do like a duet of the choir? Because that was so powerful, so powerful. Just We started the service, for those of you that wandered in a few minutes late, just crying out for the glory of God and uh, crying out for his name and his renown. And so that's the desire of our soul. And uh, it is so good um, to be able to talk about the redemptive work of Christ and our place and his story and how we fit into the story, particularly from where we were last week to this week as far as just praying for what God's doing in our church family. You know, last week we we were in this room and we were all in orange, or many of us were, and it was quite a treat to be able to pray for Addie and to pray for her family. And this week we gather and we are praying for Addie's family. Addie, if you have not yet heard, is with the Lord. If you have, uh, are a guest here, Addie is a beautiful little girl who is, is perfectly with her Heavenly Father. But she's also... Um, leaving some wonderful family who dearly and deeply love her. And so our, our prayer transitions today and throughout this week from praying for Addie, um, it is well with her soul. But praying for the White family, praying for Christy and for Andrew. Andrew is a pastor of a church in South Carolina, and they will celebrate Addie's life tomorrow and Tuesday. And uh, we have members of our fellowship here, and Taylor and Cheryl and her family, just that uh, that we can really bathe in prayer. And so... I'm encouraging you that um, I, I don't know the story behind the orange. I probably should, but orange hasn't stopped. And it really is more just importantly prayer and crying out to God for for the fact that there is a glorious day ahead and that we rejoice in that and that um, today is a painful day for a family, but it, there is a glorious day. And that day exists today as well. We, we also, I want to just share a, an opportunity or two and then I'd like to pray for us and then we're going to center our lives in Scripture today, and I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, we have we were blessed here. If you're a guest or haven't been here more than a year or two, like like myself, uh, we were blessed with a 27-year pastor here, and we are really grateful for Brother Bill and Miss Linda and just what they mean to us. And I have two things I want you to pray for them, and then I have an action for you. And so, uh, Brother Bill contacted me a week or so ago. If you have kept up with him, he has been a transitional pastor up in North Jacks. Uh, kind of in Fernandina, actually, and then that was for a year, and then he has helped transition another church in the Live Oak area for the past year. And I've had I've sat with lunch with him, and his eyes get wide as he helps a church transition and prepare for their next pastor. And so he just asked what his church, his home church, which is here, just come around him and pray for what God's intended next is. And so uh, will you join me? He wrapped up a transitional point with Live Oak um, a week ago, um, two weeks ago and is excited about God's next for him. And that's unclear right now. But in the meantime, here comes action. Miss Linda apparently still likes to ski. And in Miss Linda's skiing, she tore an ACL. And then not only did she tear the ACL and came home, and that was, you know, way to go, Miss Linda. I'm proud of you for skiing. But unfortunately, last weekend, some blood clots happened, and Miss Linda came almost a fraction from being with the Lord. 
but is doing substantially better now. But I love uh, Melody Lamoze, and she's in the room. If you would just stand for a moment so I can see you. Uh, Melody has put together, uh, we should love and feed our prior pastor of 27 years as they walk through a journey. Miss Linda's got about two months, right, where she's waiting for uh, ACL repair. So at least nine weeks. And I think we can feed them uh, several meals for nine weeks. So here's how we want to do that. Melody is going to be in the atrium. And uh, and we're just going to kind of spill out the love on our, our our pastor. 27 years, he's still our pastor. And so we're going to pour out the love on his family. If you would like to be a part of taking a meal to their house, um, Melody will meet you out there. And so um, I, I would love to pray for three things this morning and then move into Scripture. Um, as, as you all know as well, the Dix family is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I just think it's so fitting that we come and just proclaim to our Lord that we're aware that there is a glorious day and there is a present help. And uh, so will you join me in praying for the White family, for the Wilkes, that's Taylor's married name, for the, uh, for the Yeldell family, and for the Dix family, and just asking that God's grace upon grace will just move in and through them. And so let's speak to God about that. God, I just thank you so much that you are an incredible, incredible heavenly Father. And God, as painful it is, is on this earth as we walk through the journey, I am just really thankful for that truth that as much as I love my children, God, you love them increasingly more. And as a heavenly father, I pray that you will just center our church and the, the family in the joy that you have in holding your child that you formed and knew before the creation of the world. But God, um, as we walk through on this side, it is a season and time for sorrow for mourning, and for hurt. And God, I pray for the family, the White family, the Wilkes family, as they walk through the valley of the shadow, that they will fear no evil. For Lord, you are with them. You're right on your staff. They, you comfort them. And so God, I pray for an abounding comfort, not only for their family, but for, for the Dix family, for Tracy, for all of the kids, for Don, as he, as he just walks through the valley. God, I pray that you will meet them there and that your presence and your power, your spirit, and your care will just abound to that family. God, even now, as we gather as a church and as one, we lift them up to you. I just pray that there will be an incredible sense of your presence and your spirit um, in the midst of them and that, God, they will just be able to worship in the throes of the greatest pain that we can walk through on this earth. God, I am. I love Brother Bill and I thank you for him. And I thank you for the privilege of walking in his footsteps in this church. And God, I do pray for Miss Linda right now. I pray that you will heal her body, that you will uh, strengthen her in her inner man, even as her physical outer is coming back together. And God, I praise you that we as this church have the chance to step into all three situations that I have prayed about and lifted to you, God. And we have the privilege of being your ambassadors and your hands and feet. God, I pray with Mills as they walk up to the Yeldell's door, there will be more than that. There will be love, grace, prayer, and the body of Jesus Christ wrapping their arms around them. And so, Jesus, we love you. And uh, we're here to meet you in your scripture today. So, Father, um, transform our hearts this morning. Allow your spirit and your presence to meet us in the midst of this morning, for the sake of your name and for the hope of your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for the hope in Christ alone. Amen. Amen. I think there's some pretty important things that we're going to talk about in the book of Ephesians. It's the first chapter, verses 7 through 10. If you're popping in, this is, I believe, week 3. 
an adventure through the book of Ephesians. And so, um, as you can kind of read by just kind of say, hey, it's Ephesians 1, chapter 7. We're just getting started and kind of excited about it. And I, I kind of introduced the idea, or I introduced the idea that Paul was saying last week that God knew us before the foundation of the world. Wow, that we are chosen in Him and that we're adopted into His family. And essentially, I kind of put these thoughts that I was writing down for myself just to encourage me to come back in humility before God. I wrote this sentence in your notes that just before we had any merit, before the world was in existence, we were chosen by God. We were chosen by grace, through grace, and our lives with grace upon grace are given for the praise of the name of the living God. And so our lives are just an act of gracious, abounding love from God the Father toward us. And so therefore, because it was before the foundation of the world, because God has chosen us before there was even a star that was breathed into the heavenlies, because God knew us in that way, we come to Him without any merit of our own. And we come to Him with just humility and with brokenness, simply saying to Him, Oh God, would that you would give me a life that is spent for your glory. Our heart kind of shrinks for our own story. And our heart expands for the story of the living God. And our heart just kind of comes around and says, Oh God, that we would not try to bring our merits or our worth into the story of the gospel that we would let the gospel and the grace and the redemptive work of living God sustain us and uphold us as individual believers, and more importantly, I believe, in context of the Scripture, as the church of Jesus Christ. That we are upheld by His grace, that we move forward in His grace, that it is not merit that we bring to the table, but it is the mercy of the living God. And therefore, the only thing that that is crying out from our hearts and our lives is Jesus You are the King of glory. Or maybe I can just walk through some scriptural texts. Like John the Baptist, we would just simply sit in this moment with with what I deem God loves from us according to scripture. A humble heart. A contrite heart. A heart that is continuously putting to death self and echoing refrains like this. Oh, that I could become smaller. So that Jesus, you could become more. Or we could echo, as it says in Scripture in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, the very heart of our Lord, who it says of us that we should have the same attitude as His, as we just begin to contemplate how do I respond to the foreknowledge and the the choosing of God in my life. I, I respond as Christ did, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a, of a, of a, servant who emptied himself of the attributes of God and walked among us as a servant who laid down his life for the very essence and ransom of man. I kind of take that on and say, okay, God, if if I am becoming less, if my heart is becoming a heart of servitude, I might look like Paul who walked after the resurrection of Christ as I just walk and say, I am dying to self. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ 
who lives in me. So the life that I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave Himself for me. That would seem to be the response of a church who lives in the midst of the foreknowledge of God and were chosen by Him before the foundation of the world are adopted in His family. We're simply saying, Oh God, that we would become small so that You are made great among us. I just wrestled with that and I held up the eternal, wow, it's still here. It's neat. The eternal rope still hanging from the cross. Just held up the eternal rope and said, God, how do I grasp the understanding that you have known us before the foundation of the world? I mean, that's your father's heart toward us. How do I rest? Not, not as a member of Mandarin Baptist Church or how do I rest as a follower of Jesus? Praise you, Lord, for that. But how do I rest? as one who is grappling with and sitting in the midst of the mystery that you knew me before the foundation of the world. You chose me in that. You adopted me into your family. What does that mean to me? How do I understand that? How do I capture a father's heart? And I started thinking of my own heart to my children. At what point did I love my children? At what point did I start to say, you know what, I actually don't just like you anymore. I'm starting to think you're pretty amazing and I love you. At what point did that kick in? Was it their teen years? I have two teens in the room right now. I love them with every fiber of my being. Was it, did it kick in when they were 13 when they just became wonderful? I mean, was it, was it at some point when they were just a child and they looked up to me with just childlike sensitivity? I'm still waiting for that for my six-year-old to look up with me one day and just say, I love you, Dad. And I responded to their love and I just, they're so cute and they're so precious and they're so dark. When did I begin to love my children? I mean, was it at some point when, when, you know, when they were, when they came out of their mother and I held them for the very first time and I, I, you know, literally were, were, was able to cut the cord and hold them. I can tell you that there was a flood of emotions that happened in my heart. But when did I begin to love my children? When did I begin to love them with this perfect, amazing love? I mean, was it I brought one of many of these that we have? We have like, you know, you have books. We have seagulls. We have a lot of kids. For those of you in the room, we have five. And um, was it when I got this picture? I mean, I just got this picture one day, and I went, oh, I love them. I mean, I, I can't hold them yet. I can see a hand pushing up and high-fiving me. But that's, that's all I got. I just, by faith, I love them. I mean, is this the beginning moment? When my heart is just flooded with love for my children, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, Susan actually really did dig this out. We've got all kinds of journals, and I'd start to consider and understand and wrestle with, how do I grasp the foreknowledge of God? And I don't know that my kids have ever heard this from us, and so they may be hearing this for the first time as well. But I mean, we, Susan and I, when we were dating, and so maybe here's a good moment for those of you that are dating. When we were dating, we would meet um, weekly. We hung out more than that, because I liked her a lot. We would meet weekly at this spot, and when we moved back there after 20-some years, 25 years away from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, when we moved back a few years ago, we walked up to that spot, and both of us just started crying, because we would meet on Gorgas Hall steps. It's the library in the center of campus, and 
It kind of comes down to the quad. If you've ever been to the University of Alabama, it's a beautiful quad that is, you know, it's no better than Florida. I'm not making rivalry here. I mean, it's a, but it's a beautiful quad, and it's just where everybody hangs out. It's super quiet during the week other than students walking to class. Game day is a different story. And we would meet, and there was this platform where we would go, and we would just pray together. And we have journals. We have, we've laughed. Our kids are going to find random journals just like this. Clearly, I hope you know, I did not pick out this colored journal. But we're dating. And throughout our journal, we have just things that we prayed about. And, you know, M's beside these and S's beside these. And, and did I begin to love them as before I even married their mother? I was praying for our future children. I mean, is that... I was going to talk to him right now, and I can't. But John Mark, is that when I started to love you? And that helps me to begin to understand what I'm wrestling with as I understand Scripture that Matthew 7, 11 says this, If a father's love is flawed and broken as it is, is displayed on this earth, and then he says these words, How much more is the love of a heavenly father to his children Not all of us in this room had earthly fathers who loved us well, but every one of us in this room, if we are in Christ, have an earthly father who, if you will, to go with this illustration, has a journal before the foundation of the world, before you were a twinkle, where he was praying for you, and where he had plans for you, and where his glory and his name was already moving toward you, and you were already wrapped up in him. And I just come bearing that great news that it wasn't all of a sudden at a moment when you did something good for God that He started to say, I love you. Are you matured into a moment to be a teenager or some maturation level where you finally looked at Him and said, oh, you can love me now. No, no, no. It was before you ever walked this earth that God loved you. And His heart was moving toward you. And I don't know if that can fill you up except by the Spirit of God, but I hope that in some way God's Holy Spirit right now is just rejuvenating your spirit. And if He's not now, He will in the next few minutes as we carry on to the next thought that Paul gave to us out of Scripture because he didn't just tell us, you and I are sons and daughters of the King. But then he told us how we got there. And oh my goodness, in Ephesians 1, 7-10, through 10, he says, you were born into the family of God. You have redemption. It's not you. It's important to me as we read this, how he couches this. We have redemption in Christ through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, the sins that we have, and it is according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding that it's according to that grace and that wisdom and that lavish nature of God that we are forgiven. Prior to being forgiven, bought back or redeemed. To, to receive into the family of God is through the redemptive work of Christ in the forgiving work of Christ in the lavishing wisdom and understanding of God. He then, as a result of this, made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He planned in Jesus for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. 
So He has stepped in, O sons and daughters, and before the foundation of the world has known us, has been journaling about us, has watched us as He didn't He didn't take this nice picture of us and say, I'm watching this. He was the one knitting in this picture. Okay, so if you don't know Psalm 139, it says this of you, that you were knit together by the hands of the Father in your mother's womb. And so He was knitting in this picture, knowing you already, and forming you together. And then, to draw you into the family, He begins to woo you by His redemptive hand, by His redeeming work, and by the hope of His glory, and just bringing us into Him. And if if a heavenly Father can journal about this, oh, how much more can God love us? He loved us enough. The Scripture is saying in chapter 1, verse 7, we have redemption in Him through His blood. This literally means He has stepped in to the slavery of that which has hold us and has redeemed us. To redeem literally means to purchase and set free through a price paid. Unless you believe that you paid the price or you have any merit in this, the price was paid, according to the Scripture, before the foundation of the world. It was charted into being in that moment. And the price is paid then and the Son of God for His glory and for His name. God paid a ransom. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ shed abroad on the cross. And it was speaking into a world who didn't have a problem. If you were in Bible study this morning, it wasn't that you needed to invite Him into your life. He was speaking into a world that was enslaved and in bondage. You don't sit in this room if you have yet to submit your life by faith through grace to Jesus Christ. You don't sit in this room with a problem. You sit in this room enslaved to death. And what Jesus has done for us in His redemptive work has purchased us out of slavery, has elevated us at the time of this reading in the church at Ephesus. They were surrounded by approximately 60 million in slavery. And literally you could go purchase a slave and you could buy them out of slavery and set them free. And that is the image that Paul is painting for the church of Asia Minor and the church of Mandarin right now. He is simply looking at us and saying, you were bought back through the blood of Christ. His blood shed for you. He stepped in, paid the ransom so that you might walk freely. Not walk freely to do what you desire on this earth, but walk freely, hands open wide, mouth lifted, all the glory of the King. That's that's. What other response do you have to a Redeemer? And to come before Him and say, I worship you. Galatians 5.1 says that when He purchased us through His blood, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are not walking around in bondage at this point if we are in Christ. Because it is in Jesus Christ that we are set free. No longer to walk around with the yoke of slavery. Romans, the 8th chapter, the 6th chapter says that we were enslaved to sin, but praise God for the blood of the Son of God no more. And I know some of you are going, thank you so much, Pastor. We've heard this for. The word redemption is the release from bondage. As I began to wrestle with redemption, I was just praying and I was thinking about Lazarus as Jesus literally walked up and spoke into Lazarus. He was dead and buried and he walked up and resurrected from the dead. I think that's a pretty powerful moment. 
He walked in and said, Lazarus, come out. I think that is a beautiful moment, but a moment of redemption, if you will. A moment of beautiful redemption of Christ. It says he walked out dead, made alive again, will die again, unlike Jesus. He will die once more, and then he will eternally be with Christ. But he was dead, brought to life. But I love a statement that Jesus makes about Lazarus that I believe goes into the heart of this church, into the heart of Lazarus, and what he longs for us. Because he looked at Lazarus, resurrected, and he says, loose the man's grave clothes. If you could sit in this room right now, God did not redeem you and resurrect you to new life in Him to walk around in the midst of grave clothes. He is saying, loose them for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. That is all glory to God. I don't know what you picture Lazarus' response in that moment, but I promise you it was doubtful that it was tepid. It was doubtful that it was lacking in passion. He simply, in grave clothes, began to worship. And I can picture that in death as in life, that he began to worship as he had already seen in the heavenly realms with all worth and honor and glory and dominion given to the King. And I would pray that grave clothes would be loosed as a redemptive work of Christ Himself in this room this morning. And you sense that he's walking in and some of us are wrapped up in the things that we believe are merit before God. That somehow earns something before Him. And I just want to come and tell you, it is grace upon grace and the cross and the blood of Christ that lends us merit before Jesus and nothing else. And we just come before Him saying, you've redeemed us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, through there's a a passage of Scripture that I believe is the echo of Paul's heart. It is his... It has captured his heart for what he would want to live out among the church, for what he would do among his people, and of the redemptive work of the gospel. It's In my mind, these verses are the summation of Paul's life and of his writing as he just comes before people and says, look, I want you to understand this. And one of the things that shocked me and began to really challenge me as I, as I, as I read through um, Ephesians is the, the, the words we and us and I think we like this where we're at right now, the redeeming work of Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We like to stop and say, now let's move past that and go to a deeper place of faith. Except that Paul is writing this letter to the church. Allow that to sink in for a moment. He's not writing this letter to the lost. He's writing this letter and saying, the gospel is the central story of the church. The redemptive work of the cross is the central story of the church. It is the story that we must preach to ourselves and it is the story that we wake up every day in order for us to live out the hope of Christ. He says, look, we are redeemed by the blood. It is us that has been forgiven of sins. We are walking in this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul begins to say some things. He says, 1 Corinthians, that's why I'm reading it. It's really whacking me up. I'm going, that's not what I wanted to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I didn't come with brilliance of speech or with great wisdom. I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you. 
Mandarin, could we, could we just posture this and say, Jesus, as we loose grave clothes and walk in your redemption, please allow this sentence to settle in our hearts. I didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among the Mandarin family except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I didn't think there was any shot and that we could do anything more for the gospel except this. There's no persuasive words that are coming. There's no great antics that will come from the pulpit. There's nobody that's going to dance on the front row. It is this, that Jesus Christ is buried, resurrected, and He is the King of glory. He was crucified for us and His blood shed abroad so that we might be redeemed and made whole. I came to you in weakness in fear and in trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words, but they were with a powerful demonstration of the Spirit so that your faith would not be built on man's wisdom, but on God's power. If this fellowship is to move forward for the sake of Christ and to impact the city and the nations, it is not persuasion, it is not words, it is not illustrations, it is not being seeker sensitive, it is the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ and the inexhaustible grace of His life alone moving in us. And there will be a spiritual power that will center this church that we have never yet experienced regardless of your experiences with the Spirit of God because as I read of Him, He carries us to deeper and deeper and deeper places in Him. So He comes just saying, I've redeemed you not with persuasive words and not with the next pastor or the next night of worship or the next song. I have made you whole through the cross. And through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's a phenomenon I think that goes on. I've already alluded to this, but I want to just kind of follow my notes because I don't have persuasive words today. I have the Scripture. And there's a phenomenon in the church that somewhere we have reached this idea that we will embrace Jesus through redemption and then we're going to go deeper. And I just share with you that there is no deeper place than the cross. And in Galatians, the sixth chapter, Paul would simply say, if you're going to find me somewhere, you're going to find me boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. For in that cross I have died to the world and the world dies to me. And we must likewise boast there often as the church. And I don't, I don't know. This has been meaningful to me. There's some situations surrounding me that are so out of my control right now. And I'm just praying over them. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture that Paul says, come to the cross, get saved, and now go deeper. He says, come to the cross, and then I love this, and it's not original with me, come to the cross, find the gospel of Jesus Christ there, the redeeming, forgiving, transforming work of Christ there, and rest there, and watch as the work of God and His Spirit, as it literally comes and makes proclamation with powerful demonstrations of the Spirit. Could we not pray that, oh ye resurrected people in this room, that there would be powerful demonstrations of the Spirit because we're a group of people whose lives are wholeheartedly submitted to Him. And so when we're sitting around going, how do I handle this situation that's going on? I won't name my own. I speak the redemptive work of Christ into it. 
He says, I can't remember, one of my favorite authors writes this, I don't remember which one, so I won't even name him. He says, look, it's either Keller or Piper or Chandler, one of those three guys. You should wake up every day and preach the gospel to yourself multiple times throughout the day. Christ is dead. You shouldn't end there. Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures, but He was dead, buried, and resurrected. Likewise, according to the Scriptures, I am going to preach that into this situation. I'm going to live that. Your marriage is on the rocks. Husbands, speak the Gospel into your wives. Husbands and wives, cry out for the hope of the Gospel. Raising teenagers that are driving you insane, speak the Gospel into their lives. Wondering what you should study as you go through school? Pray the Gospel and the redemptive work into the midst of it. Wondering how you should walk and live and move in a workplace that is full of the very demons of hell? Speak the Gospel into the heart of it. You're wondering how you live this? Speak the Gospel. Live the Gospel. The redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And be filled with His Spirit as you do that so that there are powerful demonstrations that exceed anything you could do yourself. And you will watch God at work and He will resonate with you and through you for His glory. I love that where it carries on in Ephesians and I'm probably with time slipping away, not going to have all I want to talk through this, but I'm glad we meet next week. But in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, he not only says we have redemption through his blood, but we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I don't know what burdens you brought in this morning, just feeling like a failure before God. And I don't know what grave clothes you brought into this room sensing that you didn't live up to something that God had for you or you sense that He has for you. And I just come sharing this message of truth according to Scripture that you are holy and fully forgiven, not in and of your merit or what you brought to the table, but in and through the cross of Jesus Christ. And the Lord is just stepping into this room and saying, take off your grave clothes. Walk in the freedom that I have for you. Walk in the fullness that the Spirit of God has for you. If He chose me before the foundation of the world, and He knew me, and He adopted me into Him, what portion of my sin was in His forward mirror? And I know some of you are going to stop and say, but look, man, 1 John 1.9 says this, You should confess your sins before the Lord. Absolutely. You are coming into agreement into the midst of the work already been done by the cross of Jesus Christ. You are not creating merit for yourself in any shape or form ever. It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and it is the redemptive, forgiving gospel of Christ that steps into the room. And the problem with the fellowship is that we put back on grave clothes because we always believe that we've got to measure up and Jesus is stepping in with the gospel and saying, it is me, it is my story, it is my gospel and I invite you in. It is in me and in me alone. You are redeemed by the blood of the cross and you are forgiven, holy and free by the blood. 
And when you're out of that, you're going to go, well, you're some universalism. No, no. When you're outside of that and walking in the fullest of the Spirit of God, there will be such conviction in your life, not condemnation. A lot of you walked in this room condemned and unworthy in your minds, and Jesus is crying of your worth. Your worth is through the shed blood of the cross. He is just simply saying, look, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's conviction of mess in your life? Absolutely. Come, lay it at the cross. You have no power to overcome on your own. But in the cross of Christ, you lay down grave clothes. Oh, glory to God. Oh, praise for His name. We just come and say, Oh, God, we are forgiven and free. I've read, since I said we wouldn't tell any stories, I'll tell one. Or at least Paul said that. I mean, I, th- I think when people that are spiritually imprisoned are set free, they become zealous for the kingdom. Suppose a prostitute, which would describe most of us, and, and if you're full of yourself, you wouldn't think that, but we give our souls and hearts away to the bidders of this world, prostituting the gospel. Suppose a prostitute has a king come and declare that you're forgiven. That's good. When you saw the decree, you saw the seal placed on it, you're pretty excited about it, and it would be great news, right? It'd be some things that would be good for us. You'd probably rejoice in that moment. But I'm wondering if your perspective would change, or if the fullness of what could happen has grasped you yet. I wonder if your actions would change, or you just would be able to do what you have done just not in secret. But here's the gospel. What if the king's degree said, you're not only forgiven, but I have adopted you into my family. And I'm coming to you in the middle of your sin and shame and sorrow, and I am lifting you out of that, and I am bringing you into my household, O son and daughter. I am bringing you into adoption as my son and daughter. Hear the fullness of the gospel in this. I am going to redeem your work by the inexhaustible grace of who I am. I will lift you out of your tomb tomb of sin and I will place you on solid ground. And we just stand in that and we look at God and we say, praise you, Lord. But then He comes along and says, here is the redeeming work. You see the blood of the cross that is shed over you as you were made whole? It's weird. I know that some of you are going, what is all this blood stuff? It is weird that the Scripture says that this blood of the cross of Christ will wash us as white as snow. And so we stand in totally purified before Christ. But then when he moves deeper into this as he did in Ephesians Ephesians 1, the 7th and 8th verse, he begins to say, not only have I resurrected you from that, but I am adopting you in. I am fully removing your grave clothes and I am standing before you with the Trinitarian beauty of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and I am welcoming you in. Welcome to the story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If that were our story, what other reaction could we have than to spend our lives for His glory and for that story? Please stop living and telling your story and preach the gospel into your family, 
into your life, into those around you, into your workplace, and oh, that God would allow us to carry the gospel as Mandarin Baptist Church to the ends of the earth. Let's pray.